0: So, Birdo, patron Cameron wrote in and requested that we talk about culture shock or, or or reverse culture shock, the culture shock of returning to your home culture after you've at least partially acculturated to a new culture. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. like, you were born in Colombia. right. And lived there, Colombia, for a long time. Right. And then you came to the States, and then sometimes you go back to columbia
1: yeah in fact the first time i went back i experienced some re- what did you call it reverse Retro, reverse cultural shock
0: yeah 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 double reverse had, retroactive culture shock that's
1: right because it had been six years and i had left when i was 15 so they were, they were important six years you right know? interesting yeah. so Berto,
0: tell me some experiences i, I want to know okay so the but first- before we do that let's <laughs> introduce the podcast this is a psychology and seattle podcast i'm your host Dr. Kirk Honda, I'm a professor and a therapist. Who are you, Berto? My name is Umberto Casañeda, and I grow tulips. So, Berto, tell me about your double reverse entendre culture shock experiences.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, the first thing that was very obvious is I go back, and everyone's like, oh, so you're talking like a gringo now, because I had like an accent all of a sudden. Yeah. And I, I, I couldn't hear it, but I was getting stuck on all sorts of words. I was like, how'd they say that in Spanish? It's like, ah, se oye como un gringo ahora. <laughs> it's like, está todo gringo. <laughs> and so I'd be like, wait a minute. I have an accent. They're like, uh, is gringo a bad yeah. word? It's not a bad word. It's just, it's, it's the kind of a condescending word for, uh, for, uh, North American. Is yeah, it as US. bad as cracker? No, no, no. It's not as bad as cracker. No, although I should be careful in being too quick to dismiss that angle because the truth is, as you're probably aware, there was a lot of abuse inflicted from the U.S. to a lot of the southern, um, South America and Central America countries and from businesses that did abusive practice, all these things. So I think there might have been historically some of that. When I was growing up, it was really more of a – almost a humorous thing like, uh, those gringos and their unfunny jokes, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like we had this perspective that which is not too far but it was like when we thought of uh gringo humor, it was always pie in the face type stuff. You know? It's like, <laughs> oh those gringos with their pies in the face, you know. Were you watching a lot of uh, <laughs> uh Three, Stooges Three Stooges or something? Probably that's where it came from, yeah, maybe. And like Tom um, and Jerry or But something. honestly a lot of the eighties stuff was really yeah. Really silly, you know? Yeah. And so, but that was our media. Yeah. So we're like, oh, these silly people. <laughs> it, was Colombian humor more sophisticated
0: than American humor in the I don't know,
1: but I, I do know that like the, the Colombian humor, because, you know, we didn't have as many movies or anything like that. So it was just more social humor. So a lot of sarcasm, a lot of inside jokes between, you know, like anytime you have a group of people that knows each other, yeah. you're going to have more sophisticated Yeah, but in the media – because
0: this is actually a uh, thing that I've never studied, but something that I sometimes think because as a Japanese-American, I have a lot of contact with Japanese humor. And although I can't speak Japanese, I I can tell you that in the media, Japanese humor is like the way American humor was decades before now, whereas British humor 40 years ago – was way more sophisticated than American humor was. So yeah. there's like a there's like a spectrum of sophistication, and by sophistication, I, you know what I mean is is humor is is like I, I think of it like music, where when very rudimentary music is pent- yeah. pentatonic scale, mm-hmm. and you'll hear these you know da 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 that's pentatonic it's very simple it's it's like what you would sing to a baby in fact a lot of baby tunes a lot of lullabies are in pentatonic and then then you 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 do an iteration of that which which adds plays on the on the on the foundation of pentatonic or the foundation of simple music but provides variation to keep the interest going. So it's like, instead of, and then right. you start adding some, some jazz beats that are <laughs> off the beat, you know, like yep. again, rhythmically, you know, this is very easy to follow. Right. Right. But if you're jazz, you're uh, uh, at, <laughs> you've lost the baby. <laughs> right. And so I consider humor to be the same way. Yep. There's like extremely simple humor, like pie in the face. Yeah. And then, as you as a as a society gets more sophisticated with their humor they start doing iterations yeah. and different expectations like like, like you draw 3.1415 on someone's forehead exactly <laughs> like when <laughs> i just got that so like um like when the office the british office came out i was not ready for that when that when it right. first came out like the first time i saw it i was like that's not funny to me. That's awful. Uh, okay. But then like five years later, I rewatched it and I had absorbed enough uh, humor so that, so that the off the office actually I could, I could, I saw how it was funny. Whereas people in Britain or whoever enjoyed that show were when it first it. came out, they had our, you know, it's like jazz. When I was young, I had no idea why people like jazz. Same. Yeah. I was like, what the hell this is all just gibberish.
1: Yeah.
0: But actually now at my older age I I can't appreciate jazz Sorry. now particularly as a musician and no no like variation in music.
1: Yeah. And, that, that that by the way that happened to me uh, when I in in high school I went to the to the do you remember these things record stores where you <laughs> yeah, yeah I went and I and I was looking and I saw this guy looked young and it said Harry Connick Jr 20 And he had like his piano. I'm like, oh, it's piano music. I like it. Took it home. I had no idea it was jazz. And I start listening to it. And like you said, I was like, this makes no sense. First of all, it's offbeat. I was like, there's no rhythm here. Second, I'm like, I was listening to Stardust. He's singing Stardust. And I'm like, where's the melody? There's no repeating melody here. What the hell is going on? And it took me many listens to start hearing it and being like, oh, wait a minute. There's actually a total total intricate beat and there is a melody and it's beautiful and but it it wasn't a it it, it was an acquired taste for sure right and and even within
0: jazz you have different levels oh because
1: that harry that stuff is as vanilla well it's great but it's not in it's not modern fusion jazz or acid jazz or any of that right yeah
0: so humor is the same way and so how did we get on this topic oh i was asking asking you about columbia And,
1: and i think the answer is this look to some extent it was just you know oh they're foreign foreigners, so we're going to make fun of them. You know, there was a bit of that, but at the same time, I will say, okay, so we had a lot of Mexican shows and we had some Colombian shows. In my biased opinion, some of the Mexican or sorry, some of the Colombian funny shows were a little more sort of British style, not quite as dry though. And I think the Mexican shows, which I did love and were funny, were a little more pie in the face. And then we perceived the Gringo shows as being. Extremely pie in the face. But the unfair part of that is we never saw comedians. Like we never saw stand-up stuff. Uh. We only saw the 80s Shows, yeah. which were like, think about all those those sitcoms and it was like as pie in the face as it comes. Laverne and Shirley, like, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But if we had seen comedians, there was a lot of great comedians in the eighties. Yeah. And we just never saw that. And the seventies for that. Well, part. yeah, exactly. And we just were now exposed to that. So our perception of of Gringo humor was literally eighty sitcoms. Yeah. Okay. So. So you're in Colombia. Yeah, I'm in Colombia. So I'm back there they're they're making fun of my accent. I'm also getting stuck on words cuz I left when I was 15 and you know so I speak the, the language quote unquote fluently but think of those 6 years all the additional language you learn all the advanced words uh college level uh, vocabulary none of that. So I'm like oh, how do you say how do you say wor- these words and so that was hard. Uh and then there's also so you went back when you were twenty one. Twenty one, yeah. And then there was also this aspect of like, okay, I have all these friends that I had stuff in common with. And on the one hand, as soon as we see each other, we're like, ah, "Dude, what's up?" And it, and it is sort of back to the thing. But we have now experienced six years in completely different ways. Yeah, and so there's and very all these- very.
0: Uh, Experience packed years. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so there's all these frames of reference we don't have about each other. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, I can't talk about how my swim team went because they weren't any- anywhere near and they took this trip to some place that I wasn't even informed of. I was- so it-, it was a little bit like, oh man, I missed out on a lot. What <laughs>
0: about like culture shock in the sense of
1: language and yeah. customs yeah. and that so, kind of so thing. So here is another huge thing that happened music. When I left, uh, there's this there's a style of Colombian music called vallenatos, and when I was there uh, growing up, vallenatos to us in the big city were sort of like how some of us view country music here. Okay, where it's like you know, like I like old country music, but a lot of times I'm I look down on country music and stuff. Is it oompa loompa music? Oompa. Umpum- uh, umpum- no, it's a little more um, very uh, accordion heavy and very intense lyrics but it's sort of the thing it has got in common with the country music it's sort of like if you listen to the lyrics a lot of it is about like when my wife left me and all these kind of things and i didn't appreciate it at all not only that there was also a class structure thing where we looked at it like that's the kind of music the the housemaids listen to oh. the people from the 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 prairie the people from the coast that's not you know what kind of music did you guys listen to well we to? listened to gringo music oh. <laughs> <laughs> and also there was rock sp- Spanish rock so there were these bands that were coming up that were emulating a lot of the music from the from the Gringolandia but I go What'd back what you say Gringolandia Gringolandia yeah. is that what you called it yeah Gringolandia, Gringolandia. but then I it's go back like Portlandia back, that'd be a great show <laughs> I go back six years later and I'm sitting there talking so what music you guys listen to? it's like oh Carlos Vives now here's the thing Carlos Vives to me is this actor in a soap opera? When I left, about a little boxing guy, and I'm like, wait, the boxing guy? That little El gallito Ramirez? They're like, oh yeah, that's so long ago. No, no, he's a musician. And I'm like, what kind of music does he does? Vallenatos. And I'm like, get out of here! You're not into. It's like, yeah, it's the- all the rage. And I sort of like feel like they're putting me on. No, everyone is full on in. And this guy, because he was so famous, he sort of brought back vallenatos to the new generation. And reintroduced all these old hits, re-recorded them with him and his and the bands and stuff. and then everyone was into it. So it was a big change. I'm like I felt so left out. I'm like because we would go dancing and they're all singing the songs and oh, I love this one and I'm like, what the fuck is happening
0: Did you did it make you feel disconnected? Bad? it did
1: it helped it made me feel disconnected. Uh, one other thing that also made me feel a little out of the loop is remember when I left was at the peak of the chaos and the bombs and the things. And so I was sort of still expecting that sort of situation. And everyone was like, dude, what are you telling me? That's so long ago. Like things are fine right now. And I was still very, very like paranoid and things like that. So that was also a little, little Interesting. different. Interesting.
0: Yeah, there's many names for this experience. Uh, we said reverse culture shock. There's also just culture shock. Cultural retooling or acculturation or acculturative stress, you know, the stress of learning how to behave in a new or a previous culture. Code switching, which is switching between different ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving
1: depending on the cultural milieu. And there's many other terms. By, by the way I, I want to point out that I am not proud because a, a minute ago I said like well, oh, that's the kind of music that the housemaids would listen or the prayer I'm not proud of that sentiment now at yeah. all yeah. but at the time that's sort of how we thought yeah totally yeah. classism yeah. is a thing
0: one two when you're younger it's harder to check yourself before you check your, your privilege yeah, yeah. Bef- <laughs> you know like yeah. because you're young and you just don't that's right you're not you know and that was ageist of me to say right there yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. And I say that also from personal experience cuz when I was younger, I you know, um, I'll tell I'll tell you a little story about classes when I was a kid. I I had a football coach who was very dear to me still is friends with him on Facebook. And uh, he he was a very formative person in my childhood. And is that the right term formative person? Formative? He was very influence. important. Yeah. Formative influence. And cuz a football coach, when you're a kid, is someone that you spend a lot of time with, and someone who does a lot of bad things to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and 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 does a lot of good things yeah. for you. Um, but he makes you sweat till you bleed. He worked in Issaquah at the Dairy Gold Center, which is still there. Oh yeah, Dairy Gold is a is a local dairy outlet. Yeah. And so he, he worked there and he worked right on the main street. And so when you drove by, right. which was the main street in Issaquah, you could see him like cleaning the truck. The trucks would pull up essentially and just get milk, like pour. Mm. That was back in the day when things were different. But back but that's where, he, that's where he worked. And I was talking with, with uh, a friend of my parents. And I was like, yeah, you know, he – he works at the Dairy Gold Center or something, oh. and, and I was probably 15-ish or something, and the, uh, the friend of the family I don't know why, but went to my parents with it with okay. um, which I'm actually glad that they yeah. did. And my parents sat me down and had one oh, of the wow. most like eye-opening you know <laughs> confrontations with me about how that's honest work. And you're not above it, you know what I mean? <clears throat> and your coach is a is a great man. Yeah. And it's that's an honest living. And how dare you like put someone down because of their job. Wow. Yeah. And Good so, talk. Yeah. <laughs> it was extremely eye opening to right. me. You know, and from that day forward I tried hard to be that way. Right. But but you know, just because I absorbed the culture as yeah. a young person, I looked down on manual laborers and looked up to people like Gordon Gecko and that kind of thing <laughs> right. in the eighties. Um, so that's that's you know what yeah. I'll say about yeah. that. But anyway, um, so what is culture shock? What, what's the definition we can say
1: about that? It's maybe when uh, the the customs. The uh, maybe the fashions or the habits of the people that you're around uh, are so unusual to what you're used to that you actually experience some distress or some...
0: Good. Yeah. Distress or disorienting yeah. uh, experience of entering a new culture. That's good. It also involves some amount of grief, meaning mm. the grief of loss. So, because oh, yeah. you're losing your old culture. For you, when you came to the States...
1: Uh, tell us about that culture shock. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, what's weird about that one, I was expecting way more culture shock that direction. Yeah. Because So you I, moved from, Bogota, from Bogota, to Bogota to Tacoma. To Tacoma.
0: Yeah, Tacoma, Washington.
1: And, and I, you
0: were in the suburbs, right?
1: I was in the Tacoma suburbs, absolutely. Like the nice suburbs. Yeah, the nicer area, yeah. Yeah. Um. So I was really expecting to be like in The Karate Kid. Like I was going to show up. There's going to be this guy Bull- from bullies. Cobra Kai and I was going to be chased in bikes and I was going to have to learn kung fu from some old, you know, rich guy. Yeah. And, uh, but you know what? No, it was actually fine. Uh, the, the biggest aspects of culture shock I, I found were that I went from being free to move around in Bogota at four, at 15. I could travel all over the place because there are so many buses uh-huh. Every Like it's a grid of buses that I could go anywhere. So if I was going to go visit my friend who was like 40 minutes away, like I could. So I had that freedom of movement, even though I didn't have a car. Um, I come there, and all of a sudden, I'm basically all but grounded. Yeah. I have no car. I have no way to get out. If, if someone with a car doesn't pick me up, I'm screwed. My mom's not taking me anywhere. I'm not borrowing the car because I don't have a license. Nothing? It was shocking, <laughs> you know? What about, like,
0: just the shock of being in a culture that speaks a different language, that has a different set of mores? I mean, maybe Columbia is more similar <laughs> well, to... The,
1: the thing is, A, I spoke the language fluently already, B, I had grown why, up... Why did you speak the language <clears throat> fluently? Because I had spent uh, two years when I was very little in the East Coast. So I had picked it up when I was little enough. And you watched a lot of gringo. I, I watched all my media was... Well, that's not fair because it was translated to Spanish. So that doesn't quite count. But the influences, all the music, all the music I was so listening to was... when you
0: landed when you were 15 yeah, from the plane... Uh, you could speak English pretty well.
1: Oh, it was it was fluent. I was fluent in English. That's so that would have really helped reduce that would, the culture Yeah, definitely
0: helped. yes. yeah. Because like, yeah. Imagine if you didn't have that, you'd just be able that's to like, that's true. Completely. Okay, so that
1: was not something I had to sweat. Did you have um, an accent? More of an accent back I then. I probably did. I probably did. But uh, but be, but remember, because I I learned both when I was like two. Yeah. I, I sort of developed both with with pretty close to no accent mm-hmm. you know so in, in spanish right now i have more of an accent than i do in english because you've been in the states because i've been here for so long yeah. um but anyways so that part wasn't so much it uh i also all the music all my musical influences everything i was listening to was all from top 40 Casey Kasem, case and all this stuff uh i had been visiting my mom in the summers for the last two summers prior to that so i had also had friends so there were a lot of bridges that helped me yeah There were some things, for example, uh, I mentioned the transportation thing, which actually was a big deal. The second one was alcohol, which at first hit me a little bit because I was already drinking. And I went from like already drinking freely at parties and stuff to the next time I drank was when I was like probably 21. Wow. (laughs) You know? You didn't drink in college? I mean, I okay, I – I probably did no no yes you're right I probably did at but not, parties, much, but at, not at much frat parties and stuff but like not at restaurants not at yeah Wow. But don't get me wrong I am sure I had drinks here or there but but I, I in Colombia every time when there was a party I was drinking Yeah. then all of a sudden I, I don't drink at all in high school I don't think I drank oh I did have one pina colada at one restaurant when we were traveling with my parents because I was bold enough to ask and they brought it to me it was the weirdest thing
0: well, okay, so you had a so you had a lot of bridges to reduce yeah. the culture shock. What about like at school, like the way kids talk to each other?
1: Okay, so let me think. So school uh, was um, so my school. I went to a bilingual school that was modeled after the U.S. system in Bogota. Interesting. So there were actually also similarities there, uh, but there was one big difference. So we had one classroom. That we were at for most of the day. Whereas here, I had to migrate from classroom to classroom. And sort of carry my thing. And I had a locker. Which there, our lockers were in our room. Here, our locker was in the in the hallway. And so, that did create new dynamics. You know, that was interesting. Um, I also had to like... I had to find new friends. So, that was a thing. Like, yeah. And I remember uh, my first friends I made. I, I will always feel bad about this. So, like... I, it's lunchtime I think and I find these two guys that are sitting by themselves and they look very very nerdy but you know I'm probably super nerdy too and I'm like hey man what's up and so I sit down and we start talking and they're they're extremely nerdy like, like dial the nerdy to like 11 it was actually hard to like have conversations with them and stuff but I, I I was always like very like hey I just want to make a friend and this is fine so I was hanging with them and about a, a week in I had made a couple other friends that were into music, and one day one of them, who you know, comes over. It's like, hey, you should come sit with us. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay. So then I stand up and I look at the two of them, and I'm like, hey, I'm gonna go sit over there. That yeah, table. it's funny. <laughs> if I if I was to make a
0: movie, I would I would have two flash forwards presented to you, like like you're looking at the two kids, and they're looking at you like. If you leave, like thirty-three uh, percent of our <laughs> of our of our of our table, of our, of our table is going to be lost, and you have two flash forwards, or you have one flash yeah. forward of being with them, and it's just like like twenty years later, yeah. you're like spouseless, sitting <laughs> around a table, not saying anything, just like you are
1: right now. Or we did a startup that's now worth billions. <laughs> <laughs> it was Bill Gates. Yeah. So I did feel really bad. But honestly, those were the... In my circle, they were the quote-unquote cool kids. They weren't really the cool kids, but they yeah. were the Asians who were into Depeche mode and wore gothy clothes. <laughs>
0: yeah. I find it really interesting that you can't remember having more culture shock, you know, because... Yeah. uh, I mean, what, just one more question, just because I'm really trying to dig here. Yeah, yeah. Like, in the first week you came to the States, yeah. was there... Any sense of like, holy crap, where am
1: I? Oh, no, no. That part, not only was there, holy crap, where am I? I I think I told this story before, but I literally got fully lost the first day coming back from school. Yeah. Because I didn't, my mom had forgotten to tell me where to get off on the bus. So it was a school bus. And the school bus driver, I don't know, they have no idea or they don't pay attention, I guess, whatever. So I'm in the bus and I'm like realizing, oh, crap. I don't know where to get off, and I have no friends on the bus yet. It's my first day. My mom dropped me off in the morning, so I didn't even get to see the route or anything. So now I'm on the way back, and I'm like, I literally don't know where I'm supposed to get off. And I'm looking out the window trying to recognize, and I finally see some stuff that looks sort of familiar. And I'm like, shit, I better get off here. So I'm like, I get off, and then I look around, and I'm like, where am I? Oh, my God. And I need to start – and I start feeling like I need to use the bathroom. And there's just no cell phones. Of course not. So I need to poop. <laughs> and I'm super nervous, and now I'm sweating profusely, and I'm scared shitless because I'm lost. And I start wandering and wandering. I went and knocked on a door. This super cute girl opens the door, and I'm like, can I use your bathroom, please? She's like, uh, I guess – And she totally let me in. I went, (laughs) pooped in her bathroom, and then promptly left. It was the weirdest thing ever. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, she was so cute. I totally could have had a chance. (laughs) And so then I'm like, back out in the wilderness. And I didn't even think to ask her anything. Like, I didn't even ask her for directions, nothing. I was just back out in the wilderness. And it took me probably two hours. Well, maybe it was less, but in my mind, it felt like two hours of wandering until finally, I was like, that's the street. I totally recognized that street, and I finally uh, got home. You could have been miles, you know, and never found your way back. Absolutely. I could have been kidnapped by a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And I got home, and get this, when my mom gets home, I'm like, mom. So I was upset. I'm like, mom, like, I got lost. I didn't know where to get off. And she's like, oh. Oh yeah, like I didn't tell you where to get off. And that was it. God. I was like, "Oh my god."
0: Yeah, so the stress of being in another Did you feel uh different since you were in a different culture? Yes. Yes, everything at that moment I Cuz if I if I yeah. was in Colombia, yeah, and got lost, you know, yeah. next week, I would be a hundred times more out. terrified yeah. than if I got lost in Seattle yeah. somewhere, right? So, because cause you don't know yep. how do people ask for help. Are people, you know, because if I'm in Seattle and I'm lost, yep. um, I'm not going to feel super enthusiastic about knocking on someone's door, but I'm going to feel a lot more enthusiastic than if I'm in Colombia and I'm knocking on yep. someone's door. Because I in Columbia, I don't know... Are people going to think I'm robbing them, or how do I? And, and how do I gauge <laughs> right. a good house from a bad house? And totally. how do I gauge a person who looks like a criminal as opposed to looks looks like a friendly person? And you know, because if I was wandering a neighborhood, I would probably pick a house that had like kids. I, you know, I, yeah, I'd yeah. look. But in Columbia, how do I know? You right. know. And so, did you experience that?
1: I think so. Uh, now, again, I will give the caveat that because I had visited my mom. For two months, two years in a row previously, uh-huh. I, I did, uh. I did have more fam- familiarity, right? But that being said, I think in that moment, cause just now when I was telling the story, man, I was, I was stressed. <laughs> in that moment, I think it all did hit me. I'm like, I don't know where I am. I have no way to get back to my real home in quotes, like where I just left, because I had just arrived the previous day. It was a Sunday when I arrived. Now it was Monday. I just, I, just, I mean, like, just think about how crazy it is. Your mom picks
0: you up at the airport, and then you start school the next, the next day, day in a foreign country. In a
1: foreign country, <laughs> and she just
0: <laughs> drops you off, right? <laughs> and you know, in her head, she's like, "Well, he'll find his way home." I don't think she even thought that far.
1: I don't know. But do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, my God. It was crazy. And so then I think that you're right. In that moment, uh, even speaking the language, even having been there before, it was a complete meltdown. I was like, holy shit. Um, And you know what? It happened to me again later that week, but not as bad. But I went with the cross-country team. I joined the cross-country team, and we went on our run. And uh, so because I lived at altitude, 9,000 feet— when the run started, I was right at the front of the pack. And actually, the coach was like, whoa, look at the new kid. And I wasn't feeling it at all. But because I hadn't trained like I wasn't trained, my muscle started failing about halfway through the run. And I had to start falling back, falling back, falling back till I was the last one. And then I couldn't even see after a while, I couldn't even see the front of the, the where the people were. And then I'm like, i don't know the route and now i'm in the middle of this trail in the park in the big park i don't know where i'm at so shit again I-, I got lost and luckily two of the coaches from the school were like taking a walk and they're like what are you doing and i'm like i'm sort of lost like oh just go this way or whatever and i could swear i could swear they were saying stupid kid Mm-hmm. Like, I got this sense from them, like disdain, like, ah, oh, stupid kid.
0: So, since I already derailed this episode <laughs> earlier when I went down the comedy rabbit hole... Oh, I forgot about that. that I, I want to share a few stories that this just triggered because I feel like it and it's late and I <laughs> you're just going to have to deal with it, listeners. But um, uh, last weekend, I went skiing for the first time in a while.
1: Oh, I saw pictures.
0: Yeah. And... Uh, I haven't been skiing in a long time, and I went to Crystal, which I used to go to all the time as a kid. But I don't; I'm not familiar with it anymore because I haven't been there, yeah, in literally t- 30 years or something. And I was with people that were very familiar with Crystal, and when we're on the chair, uh, my friend David, he he's like, "So what we're going to do, Kirk, is we're gonna we're gonna head to the right, and we're gonna we're gonna take a track, and then." there's going to be an elbow of another track and then you're going to take that track down and then we'll meet at the chair. Mm-hmm. And in his mind, mo- he's a terrible, he's, he's a great guy. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> he's but a terrible, but he's, he, a great guy. he's
0: a terrible describer of, <laughs> uh, because, because I, cause I, you know, went to the right and I was following them and then I got, I was midday and so I was getting a little cocky and I thought, oh, I could probably manage this on my own. I don't need yeah. to, I don't need to follow them all the time. And there was no elbow in the track. You know what I mean. It, oh, no, I kept waiting for that, for this, for this turn. Yeah. And I think I was following some other randos, and all of a sudden I find myself I'm in pure powder. There was just a Ooh. ton of snow, and I'm in the woods. <gasps> oh, and shit. and I'm but there's other tracks around, and I'm thinking, well, you know, just keep heading down, and eventually I'll hit something that's familiar, and I'll like a rock, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so, so I'm heading my way down the way that it feels natural. And then all of a sudden, I and I and I keep going like, oh, this doesn't really feel right. And then all of a sudden, I get to this point where there's no tracks ahead of me. It's just pure, Whoa. untouched snow. Back country. And I can't, there's a little lip that looks kind of like a cliff, uh-huh. and I can't see beyond it. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm... My my hands are getting sweaty just thinking oh, about it. No. I was like, I was like, just feet away from this yeah. cliff, and I couldn't, you know, because the closer you get to a, a pseudo cliff, uh-huh. you, you especially, especially when see. you're skiing, you can see like, oh, it, it's just a really steep hill, but it's not a yeah. cliff. So because I can ski, you know, double double blacks. Oh, you,
1: you can, yeah. So you're really good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I grew up skiing oh, as a okay. Seattleite it's Naomi okay. and and Crystal as a kid and so it'd been a while but you know okay. uh, i can manage okay. it's just not comfortable because i'm not practiced but you know i can manage at least i think i can but anyway i, I but i do know enough to know that if this is untouched snow on a busy place yeah. and it and i'm in the middle of the woods and i can't see a single chairlift from where i'm at oh, and i don't see another human being and i and i and I can't see anyone, and there's a and it looks like a cliff. This is one of those stories, yeah, where someone falls off. Because because the other thing is, like, even if it's not that far, you could break your leg and freeze to death. Absolutely. Or you could go headfirst into a like a little kind of weird crevice right. and like suffocate. You know what yeah. I mean? If no one's around to help you, so you start freaking out. So for two seconds just like that this yeah. feeling that you said of just like right. oh my god i'm in a i am ha- in a, am in a foreign country i have yeah. no idea where i'm where i'm at i had you know a very similar feeling <sighs> and i just yelled out fuck because i realized what my situation was right. was i don't know where i'm at i don't know even if i'm safe yeah and i don't know how to fix the problem because in, with skiing, go. yeah, it, <laughs> if I if I had snowshoes, I would yeah. have just hiked my way out of it. Hiking while carrying skis and in poles- In powder. In powder, very thick powder, like up yes. to my mid-thigh, maybe, um, in ski boots is extremely hard. So um, so I told myself, because I had this feeling like, well, just go over the cliff. It's I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, just yeah. get down the hill. But I said to myself because I've seen a lot of documentaries about this sort of thing, uh-huh. and I and I and I remembered people who panic die. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. People who panic die, and so I stopped everything I did, and I just stood there, and I just assessed the situation. It's like oh, I'm okay. Right. I'm. But the thing is, is do you ski at all? Yeah, I, I was just skiing in Whistler two three weeks ago. Okay. You know there are certain times. I don't know about you, but there are certain times when I'm skiing when I'm like,
1: I am this close to dying. Like if if, if things yeah. went just a little wrong. I, I, I think I haven't quite gone because I'm not as – I didn't grow up skiing. The first time I ever skied, I was 15 and I only did a couple times and stuff. Um, but I have skied intermittently. So I could do a black, not a double black kind of thing. So the most I've ever gone into danger was one time I think at Crystal where – The people I was with were like, you could handle this. And I was like, are you sure? And then they took me down a double black and I was totally not ready for it. And I was freaking out the whole time. And I I don't even know how I survived. But other than that, I don't usually get myself that into that risky of situation. Well, I I have –
0: for some reason, I've just always had this sense skiing Uh that at at any time, something really terrible could happen. Uh I mean – on the way up just earlier in the day yeah. on a chairlift this guy broke his leg or something what? and he was screaming at the top of his oh lungs my God. and it just happened you know
1: He broke his leg on on the on the going downhill
0: Yeah so we were on the chairlift oh, going up no. and right below us like I don't I didn't see what happened but and I yeah. I assumed it was his leg but and uh, so I don't know. Maybe that kind of put a pall on everything. Oh, but anyway, so so and the other thing was I had my cell phone. Oh yeah. Um, so I knew that so if I needed someone. to, yeah. But I didn't know how to describe where I was. You know. Anyway, uh, to end this long, stupid story, mm-hmm. I, I hiked my way up. I, I hiked back. Okay. And then, uh, but I still couldn't find anybody. Or any kind of real track through the uh-huh. woods. There was some tracks, but I was like, uh, and then these guys came by, and I yelled at them, and I said, "Can I follow you?" Because I, because the thing is, is yeah, if I crash and I'm headfirst in a hole, they can pull me out. Yeah, you know, like I'm not worried about that. I'm just worried about being alone. You know right, what I mean? Right. And so I followed them, and then we we and and I was like, "Do you know where we're at?" And they're like. I have we they're like, I don't even know how we got back here. Uh, They were scared too. They were like, I don't know, I don't and and they're I'm like, Do you know how to get out? They're like, No. Like, do you know how to get out? And I'm like, No. And I'm like, Well, could I just follow you guys? (laughs) And then um they got to a ridge, um and They were like, "Oh, it looks pretty steep down there. Maybe let's." So we kind of wound our way out. But anyway,
1: that's crazy.
0: Meanwhile, my friends could care less. You know, I (laughs) I had five friends that did like five other runs while I was sitting there on the mountain. I will
1: say that at Whistler, just the other day that I was there, uh, the conditions at the top were full whiteout, like it was snowing intensely, that icily snow, Uh, and you couldn't see two feet in front of you at uh, one point. I hate that. And and keep in mind. So, you know, I'm not trying to go down the double blacks or anything, but I am, I'm sitting there not knowing if I'm about to crash into another skier. Yeah. And, 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 and so it's by feel cause you don't really know. And then so all of a sudden the floor feels like it drops under you. And, yeah. That's awful.
0: Oh. <laughs> or f- super foggy is yeah, terrible yeah. too. Yeah. I hate that. Um, was it that way the whole time? Or? No,
1: no. And and actually, I had a great time, a really great time, but it's just that, in fact, some of it was almost like, I felt. This is the closest I'm gonna get to braving the elements as if I were in, as if I were my friend Ty Verzoni in the Arctic or the South Pole or something. <laughs> yeah. So you know I'm just I'm just as brave as those guys that go and save people in the South Pole.
0: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So getting back on track with culture shock here. This episode is completely off the rails. But anyway, um, yeah, culture shock is a disorientation or a distress as a result of entering a new culture. We also experience grief of losing our old culture and our old place. You can also experience being marginalized by the dominant culture. Did you experience any marginalization? Okay, so
1: that's a good point. So back to when I came here. Um, one one aspect. Uh, I was talking about music. So even though I was very much aware of the popular music here, because I listened to Top 40, on the other hand, at parties, we always danced Latin music. Salsa, merengue, those kind of things. And you always dance with a... With a girl you know you're always dancing together and stuff like that, like with hand, holding hands yeah you're, you're one hand on the hips and the other and, and i've seen you do this merengue dancing yeah. and
0: it is it is highly active and yes. you're, you're throwing that woman around <laughs> yeah
1: like a bag of potatoes yeah. and that's how and it, they
0: usually really like
1: it yeah usually and so then i go to these parties which I didn't go to that many, but we'd go to like, or the dances, the school dances. <laughs> okay. So again, if we're going back to our movie script here, you,
0: you know, you're like, oh, we're all going dancing. And then like you and your new Asian, uh-huh. like semi cool <laughs> friends, you, you run in and like, you just grab the first girl and you start throwing <laughs> around and your, your five Asian friends are looking at you going, he's ruining our
1: lives. And this girl's like, wee, wee. Yeah, basically what happened was similar to that, where where we go to these dance. And first of all, I'm like, why is no one dancing with anyone? (laughs) This is so weird. So me and my friend Ty, we decide we don't care. We're going to dance. And so we were the weirdos in the middle of the dance floor doing all the, the crazy, uh, you know, dancing to erasure and the cure going, you know, gyrating in all sorts of very bizarre ways. Uh, but that was, that was the closest I got to experiencing dance. From the thing, but the biggest thing that I remember now that you mentioned, just it, an
0: asterisk here. I think a big uh, protective element to culture shock uh-huh. is friends and confidence, oh, yeah, which you true. clearly had.
1: Yeah, I did. that helped a lot yeah. because,
0: like, if you were shyer or less sure of yourself, sure. you could have felt like really put upon and, that's and marginalized. Where you're just you're the sort of guy who's just like, well, screw it, I'm just gonna make this my own yeah. scene, you know? That, and
1: that's absolutely true. Uh, on the other hand... So basically narcissism. I narcissistic, know. yeah. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I'm in the classroom there and I think I've also mentioned this before, but uh, for example, my physics professor starts cracking jokes left and right about Colombia. Yeah. <laughs> and every time I meet someone, I'm the first Colombian they've ever met. And the only other thing they know about Colombia is Escobar and the drugs and maybe the coffee. Uh, also... I am not at all into football, nor, nor do I understand anything about it. I barely understand baseball. And, and yet the only time they're trying to, they're trying to relate to me on soccer, they're like, oh, but at least you know soccer. And I'm the one Colombian who <laughs> didn't really know soccer. So I'm t- trying to talk about basketball and not a lot. Of, so those things are all sort of weird there. Um, th- so that's definitely different. And then lastly, uh, fashion wise, I grew up in, oh, sorry, in my school in Columbia, there were uniforms. So I never had to think about what I wore. Yeah. I just put on my uniform. And you go. So you had some choices, like which watch, maybe the shoes, maybe sort of, but not really. And here, it's like I, you know, every day is a new day, right? But my mom bought my clothes, so I was I had no sense of style or fashion or anything for the longest time. Yeah. I was just like. I would just wear whatever. So I go back and I look at these pictures and I'm like, why am I wearing fluorescent pink shorts <laughs> with a blue Columbia like the mar- the trademark, you know, the the brand jacket that goes down to my knees almost. And well, like, it was the 80s. It, I, well, it was the end of the 80s, yeah. Like it was bizarre. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah, marginalization um Also, feeling disoriented because you can no longer predict other people's behavior. I think this is the key to culture shock is when you're in your own culture uh, or a culture you're very familiar with, you begin to predict how other people are going to react. When you say hello, they say hello back. When you say, how you doing? They say fine, even though things aren't fine. When you say, how about them Seahawks? You know, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's a certain routine to the way people interact with each other. When you go to a restaurant, there's a way of interacting, you know, like, like just one tiny stupid example is in, uh, in other countries, I think Japan's one of them. I think this is true. You have to yell at your, not yell, but you have to call your waiter over. So it's impolite for a waiter to come over and say, Uh do you need anything? that the waiter waits until you, you go, you know, uh, uh Sui you know, and you just, right. you just scream. And then the, the waiter comes, if you did that in the States, if you it's did, rude. if you <laughs> just like, excuse me, you know, yeah. and just screamed like, and, uh, every that's rude. Right. And so times that times a million, that's all those little routines, right. all these little rules. And so when you realize, Holy crap, I'm in a culture that I don't know the rules to, Right, it can be very scary, you know? It, it can be very disorienting. because
1: frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, and frustrating. Like you, so you were talking about humor, you know? I just remembered the, the more we dig, the more I'm remembering like, oh, yeah, this was different. In the bus, going to school after I had made a couple of friends, I'm sitting there and I'm starting to try to like say funny things, you know, to integrate and stuff. So my, my style of humor in, in Colombia and most of my friends and a lot of the culture in my family and stuff like that, very sarcastic but dry. So you would say a lot of things that are clearly not real but you would say them in a dry way and that was sort of part of the humor. So I'm sitting there in the bus, and as an example, let's say someone – in fact, I think it was almost literally this. Someone says something about the new kids on the block, and I'm like, well, that's one of the best bands of all time, as an example. right? And then this guy, this big, tall Italian guy that I, I became good friends with after that. But he's like, are you an, a moron? Like, they're, they're terrible or whatever. And I'm like – I was obviously kidding. He's like, no, you weren't. You just said – like you just said they're the greatest band. And I was so frustrated. I'm like – now they don't, now they really think that that, I meant that, but uh, I was obviously being sarcastic, but they don't believe, they think I'm trying to cover my tracks. And I found that that happened to me a lot where I would try to say something totally in that dry, like, you know, ironic way where they would take me literally. You still do that. I still do that, but now I don't care, but they would take me literally. Yeah. And, and, and they I, still take you literally. And I couldn't back out of it without them thinking I was an, an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Uh, so, far, so, so is that a Colombian humor thing? Or is I don't that know just it's, you?
1: But all my like that's how my friends joked. Yeah, that's how me and my family. That's how we joked. Yeah, I
0: think that's again an an element that uh, is evidence that Colombia had more sophisticated humor. Because when mm-hmm. I was growing up, Monty Python was like the the most sophisticated thing I'd ever <laughs> seen. Like when I saw uh, Holy Grail when I was like ten or something. Yeah, I I was. I just couldn't believe how funny it was and how but it's so dry, right? Sure. And but then dry by dry we mean deadpan where you don't you don't play up the fact that you're joking. Right. Like the way you said it. So well everyone knows New Kids is the best band yeah. on earth. Like that's that's a funny joke cuz it's so deadpan, right. right? If you were like well everyone knows
1: wait, that wait, wait, <laughs> which I had to start doing by the way. I was so frustrated, but I had to start literally like, well, yeah, of course, I, <laughs> I start, start doing that.
0: So I want to tell you a story about just a because I've I'm born and raised in Seattle, the Seattle area, and so I've never had to experience what you've experienced, but uh-huh. I have traveled occasionally uh-huh. and can talk a little bit about at least some of the feelings that you know I've I've had. For instance, I've talked about this before in the podcast before, about a somatic, uh, psychosomatic or a psychogenic physical pain in my leg when I was in Japan.
1: Oh, right. I remember that.
0: Well, one of the things that really amped up my anxiety, which caused the psychogenic problem to increase, was that when you're walking around Japan, I, I had friends that lived in Japan and... I, I would on the subway and on the buses and trains. I would see these little advertise, these little janky advertisements, and I would ask them, "What is it?" And they'd say, "Oh, that's for a doctor,
1: it, for like a oh. foot
0: doctor, or you know that that's a that's a lung doctor." Okay. And I was like, w- "That's weird." Like just these individual doctors, and they're like, "Yeah, in Japan the medical system's different, uh-huh. and I don't know if it's still this way, and I don't even know if they were being accurate, but the way they portrayed it to me." It gave me this this impression that the Japanese medical system was just a bunch of private practitioners. I see. And in my and and the fact that they were, at... it's made it feel like sleazy law offices. You know what uh, I, I mean? I see. Did you, know? you get
1: hurt today? <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it felt like that. It, you know, it, and or like minor dentistry. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. And so when I had this pain in my leg, I was wondering should I go to the doctor? You know, <laughs> but then I thought, but I don't trust this. These quacks. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Japan is, a you know, what they call a first world country right. with like cutting edge medicine, of course. But I, I didn't trust my, obviously, I didn't trust my ability to navigate to it. a doctor that was good. Because like if you're in the States... And you had a problem, there's a lot of different options, right? Yeah. You got the ER, you have urgent care, you have urgent care clinics, you have local clinics, you have hospitals, you have like group health, you have big hospitals, you have little. Like, there's a lot of different options. And we generally know what the best option is. And we can kind of, like, if you go to the urgent care and they start advising you to do all these different things, like, you kind of know, well, I'll talk with my primary yeah, doc about like I'll that. I'll double
1: job. check. get second opinion.
0: Well, I'm in another country and I'm being told like their system is kind of weird, so it really increased my terror and of
1: course my psychogenic problem. I'm picturing something where you put a coin in this machine, a window slides up and the doctor's like, "Hello, how yeah, can I help you?" Exactly. That that's what I that's what it sort of was portrayed to me. Um,
0: okay. So, you know, other kinds of things that I haven't mentioned are how do people deal with conflict? You know, if, if, if someone bumps into you on the, on the bus and they're upset, how do you manage that? Mm-hmm. How do you know if, if they're super serious, scary person or just a norm, normal, non-scary person? Right. Um, how do you ask people for help? Uh, who do you call when you're in danger? You know, these are questions that are pretty complicated, and if you're in a new culture, you're not going to know the answers to that. Um, Also, uh, a culture of stress or culture shock can be caused by not being able to retain your culture over time. You know, the society not supporting your culture. For instance, a rural guy who likes to hunt, he moves to a liberal city like Seattle, where people hate guns, and he can't participate or advertise his culture anymore. Mm -hmm. He can't talk about guns. He can't subscribe to a gun magazine. He can't show his guns to people. He, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a culture shock. Right. Um, Now, many authors have proposed solutions to culture shock to reduce the impact of it. What, what do you think, Berto? What's the, what's the solution to just general culture shock? To
1: general culture shock. um, Maybe finding other folks in in the area that are from your co- original culture um uh, finding support groups you know like maybe finding a uh like i i i would have been sort of out of luck in my case but uh if you're if you're a mexican person that moves to the state of the let's say the city of seattle there are mexican communities you can you can find a mexican community and like sort of integrate now that might slow your Integration otherwise, I don't know, but at least it gives you a a little bit of an anchor. Totally. You know? Yeah. A lot of people will point to things like that.
0: We might call them cultural facilitators or something Mm -hmm. who can help you adjust. So it'd be someone that was either very familiar with Mexican culture or a Mexican-American themselves. And could be that bridge, Mm -hmm. you know, could explain things, could mediate if necessary, could say, well, when I came to the States, I had no idea about this. And so let me tell you about that. And feel free to ask me any questions, you know, email me any questions you have. And so having a a facilitator like that can be extremely helpful. Also classes to help with acculturation or with uh, culture shock and uh, with the
1: language. I, I would also think maybe taking it slow at first and, and observing a lot. Okay. Because uh, I wouldn't have known to do that. Like, Rather you, than just rushing onto the dance floor and dancing. Yeah. <laughs> just like maybe just like I'm not going to – not that I – again, in my situation, you're, you're a kid. You're 15. And, like I didn't have a choice not to go to school the next day. Like it's just like, okay, whatever. But if you have the ability to kind of pace yourself a little bit, like don't try a new thing every single day like – because you, you
0: run the risk of making more mistakes, yeah, and, and then and regretting it later.
1: Yes, is that what you are saying? <laughs> yeah, and and also overload. Like, okay, today I learned something, but tomorrow's a completely different group of people, and it's it's like you don't get you don't get a chance to get comfortable yeah. with any of it. Yeah. Also,
0: therapy can help. In my in my early career, I was often this so called cultural facilitator for people. Uh, Most of the therapy was me just helping them feel comfortable with living in Seattle, which was entirely new to them. Uh And oftentimes, I would just gab with them. And I could tell that they were learning about Seattle culture and about Seattle lights through our conversations, and it seemed to reassure them. They seemed and sometimes were overtly thankful for having a local – and and a person of power who's a therapist, you know, who – you know, as a clinician, they felt extremely grateful and would give me gifts, which was always great, you know because they their food was always so great right. I, I remember this one family I would go to their home Mexican family, and they would make me tamales uh. and I'd bring them home and <laughs> eat the crap out of those things
1: but you brought the Mexicans home <laughs> and uh they were you know I remember
0: that family really well, and they were really cool nice family
1: maybe another thing would be uh which is easier said than done but try to make at least one maybe a couple new friends and spend time with them so you can start getting uh uh like someone absorbing yeah absorbing and also having sort of like um help from someone that cares about you because if they start caring about you then they're going to be more patient they're going to spend more time with you so to to address the
0: patron patron camera's specific question about reverse culture shock, returning to your home culture, uh, you know things that I can say about this that are in our culture that are sometimes talking about is like you've gone native. You know, like yeah. when you went back to Colombia, they were like, "Oh, you've gone gringo. You've gotten gringo. Yeah, yeah. you've gone <laughs> native. Uh, J Lo had her song "Jenny from the Block." Right? right, she's like, oh, I've left the block, but I'm, but <laughs> I'm the still block, I'm the still law. Jenny from the block. There's, there's a lot of pressure to, when you come back for you to be the same. You know, if if you weren't, you're betraying the culture, you right? Know, you, it's particularly if you seem to have stepped up, if you stepped up to a culture that is perceived as higher, <laughs> then the original culture will ridicule you and. It, it, was so,
1: it was so much so that my cousin told me that I walked differently. Yeah. When I went back. She's you like, walk like a gringo. Yeah. She was like, you walk differently. You don't walk like a Colombian. Like
0: in a in a condescending way.
1: Yeah, like uh, you lost your swagger or something.
0: You're no longer a Colombian. Yeah. <laughs> You're an uptight gringo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, an example that I thought of uh, when I was you know, thinking about this was when I was in grade school, there was a girl, a friend of ours who moved to Texas for, I don't know, I don't, maybe a couple of years. And then she came back and she totally had a Texas accent, which makes sense when you're, when you're right. five or seven or eight or something yeah. and you, you know, and we all made total fun of her. We're, <laughs> we're just like, listen to your stupid accent. And, oh. and, and it's just like, why, you know? What what's threatening about a it's natural <laughs> a natural process right. of you know coming to the United States and walking like a gringo right walk like a gringo <laughs> um, it's just dumb also uh, in the military there's a lot of actually y- you'll find a lot of reverse culture shock literature put out by the government and the military oh sure uh, because of high suicide rates and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But like The Hurt Locker, you remember that movie? Yep. He comes back to the States and they really portrayed the reverse culture shock really well. Yeah. Because for the first hour of the movie, he's like in <laughs> utter peril all the time. That's right. And then suddenly he's home and he's like in a in a grocery store with his wife. Yeah. And they're walking down the aisle and he's pushing the cart. And it you just really got the sense of like, this is very different from where he was and, and and he didn't fit. And ultimately he decided to go back because he He felt more at home. He felt well, he had, he just didn't feel right back home anymore. You know, um, now as, as we talked about with you, there are a lot of factors that play into the severity or the distress or the disorientation with regards to reverse culture shock. Things like, did you return to to your home? i'm going to refer to it as home culture or foreign culture, just but right. those words are kind of funny, given that home is a subjective thing but you know did you return to the home culture by choice, or did you return because you were forced to or you right. ran out of money like that'll be a factor uh, How long were you gone right? How old were you when you were gone like if you had left when you were twenty five and come back when you were thirty one yeah that would have been a lot different, you know right. what I mean, than yeah. those those years that you were... If you would have left when you were two and right. came back when you were eight, you would have been basically a gringo coming, totally. you know what I mean?
1: Actually, and that sort of happened when I was uh, very little, because I, I had been boarding Bogota and stuff like that, leave when I'm like one and a half, and now I'm in Boston for a bit, then I'm in New York for a bit. So at the time I went back to Columbia, I was speaking, at best, Spanglish, like... I was mixing words left and right, and I was very culturally U.S. at that moment because, you know, I had spent two years at that, like, three, like, two and three in the States. Yeah. So... (laughs) Interesting, yeah.
0: Yeah. Other factors are, have you returned before? Like, you had sort of gone back and forth between the States, and so that's a factor. How acculturated were you to the foreign culture? How different are their, are their cultures? I mean, I think one thing that I'm realizing as you talk about your experience is that Colombian culture in the 80s was not that much different than U.S. culture. There were
1: similarities, more so than if I had moved, say, to China or to... Right. Uh, India India. <laughs> India, yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: has your home changed that much? How much has it changed? How much did you idealize either culture um, do you like your home culture? Did Did you stay in contact with your home culture and the people there? How connected are you to the foreign culture? Blah blah. blah. Um, these are there are several proposed stage models to culture shock and reverse culture shock. For example, many people claim that people often experience a honeymoon period when they mm. before they experience the full disorientation. They will, you know, they'll land on the plane for a couple weeks they'll be like oh I'm not having any culture shock this is fine Uh and then all of a sudden like this this depression (laughs) or anxiety kind of sets in Um, but I'm not a fan of universal stage models certainly there could be a honeymoon period but I'm guessing for many people there isn't Um, blah 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 the only time the other time I can, the other example I can give is I spent uh, a few months on a road trip across the United States uh huh and although the rest of the United States isn't that much of a different culture than Seattle, although it is, you know, somewhat different. The I remember when I was driving home and I crested the Snoqualmie Pass, which is the mountains just as you, you know, then you start going downhill into the Pacific Northwest. And the feeling I got from the greenery and the moisture and the people, I just remember feeling like I'm home again. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I've, even though I've born and raised in this area, I have had glimpses of what I would call culture shifting, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but not obviously as much as you have. So what's the final word, Berto,
1: on culture shock and reverse culture shock for Patron Cameron? Well, on the one hand, I've discovered that I had more than I remembered. <laughs> Uh, well nothing like a therapist to help like you remember <laughs> your pain in life that's right um, but I think you know don't 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 isolate find some friends take it easy uh, observe uh, see if you can find some anchors back to your previous culture you know, like people from that area or groups things like that uh, therapy and you know have fun with it there's new things to discover.
0: Good. I like it. If you haven't already become a patron of the podcast, go to patreon.com, become a patron, get access to all the premium episodes. I'm slowly adding all the episodes, so it will be it, uh, like the, the main podcast feed uh, that non-patrons listen to. For whatever reason, it limits itself to just the past few years. But this podcast has been going on for eight years. And so if you want to listen to all the episodes, you have to become a patron of the podcast. In fact, uh, I'm guessing at least half the episodes aren't available. Uh, but they are on YouTube. If you go to YouTube, they're all there. So you're saying iTunes like limits them? Uh, not iTunes, but WordPress. Remember when we switched over to WordPress?
1: Oh, I might be able to tweak that. Did you already try to fix it? Uh I have no idea how to tweak that. I could take a look. Nope. I don't know if I but I'll I'll take
0: a look. I mean we did it, we did tweak it in the beginning. We're just now derailing the episode even more but <laughs> but um originally it was like 10 episodes and then you tweaked it. Okay.
1: Well, I I can maybe look at it. And yeah, I'll look let you at know it, what it is. I guess look then, at it cuz okay. it's not
0: it's it should go back all the way, but yeah. it's not. Anyway. Um but there are many of our best episodes are for patrons only, and so if you become a patron, you'll get access to those awesome episodes. Also, tell a friend or colleague. You know, word of mouth is a big deal to us, especially if you're in the field. You know, this is, I think, uh, among the podcasts for clinicians and students in psychology and psychotherapy. I think it's a legit podcast. It's
1: the best
0: to, to check out, at least. Um, rate us on iTunes. And if you rate us on iTunes, send me an email and I'll send you some swag, even, nice. if, even if you're not a patron. Also know that $20 patrons get mugs, which are super awesome official mugs for psychology in Seattle Are they people. the mugs
1: that have our mugs? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: also, uh, join the Facebook fan group on, podca- on uh, podcast on Facebook. That's run by famous patron Lyndon. Linden. Linden. Uh, there's a lot of exciting things going on there that I don't look at because I don't want to read things that are negative against me.
1: (laughs) We had a a really great discussion Uh,
0: today or yesterday. (laughs) Right. So Lyndon posted something on the Facebook (laughs) fan group. So we have a Facebook page that's regular for that, that I run and you run actually, but it's pretty dry and, it's it's kind of like a website, some book. yeah. <laughs> but then the the fan group has all sorts of chaos happening, which, which those guys are out of control. And we started an Instagram, which um, I will add another picture here of Berto looking like a monkey there because he's boop boo, boo, boo. Okay, so I'm going to Instagram that stuff. Actually, I think I need to pull back a little bit because I need to square it. Anyway. Um so, join our Psychology in Seattle Instagram. I have no idea. What, every time, basically, I figured out what I'm doing with Instagram is whenever you and I are together, whether we're at the movies or podcasting uh-huh. or just, I'm just going to take a picture of you and I'm going I'm to post it.
1: Me? So, this is just going to be the Instagram of,
0: of Birdo. All right. Um, another thing I want to say is a patron has published a book and it's available on Amazon. It's called I'm Here for You. I'm here for you oh. by Luke Lee, patron. Luke Lee has pu- you know published a book called "I'm Here for You." It's a good book if you want to learn more about communication and how to communicate well and how to be present with people, uh-huh. how to be like really a good listener what? and really <laughs> pay attention. So again, available on Amazon. I'm here for you. I'm here. I'm for here you. for you by Luke Lee, patron. Okay. Luke Lee, go out and buy that book. Do it now also become a patron of the podcast. (laughs) Uh, And if I haven't said this already, you know, if we get another couple hundred patrons, uh, I'm guessing that's what it'll take. We can start donating to Pet Finder, which is a wonderful organization that saves pets from being euthanized. They take basically my experience with Pet Finder is there's all these people who volunteer their time, their homes to help, pets, uh, find homes for them, you know? So for instance, for my cats, I went on petfinder.com and I found these two cats and I said, I want these two cats. And then the foster parents contacted me and Uh they were in, they were in Oregon and, or maybe even California or something. And they said, Oh, great. You would like these cats, and I, I said, yeah, I'd like these cats. And they said, okay, well, we'll drive them up to you.
1: Wow. So they're
0: the, they this retired couple. So then they come to my, so they drive all the way up to my house. Oh my
1: god! <laughs> to to
0: and I and and there's a suggested donation of a hundred dollars per pet, but uh-huh. you but you don't even have to do that. And the reason for this is because a lot of people donate to petfinder.com. And a lot of people donate their time because it's a wonderful organization. Then these people tell me, oh, we got these cats from a woman who flew these cats on an airplane from Beirut, Lebanon.
1: Wow. So there's this
0: woman in Beirut, Lebanon who works with Pet Finder. uh, And she will find stray cats on the street and get them their shots and everything and spay and neuter them. And then personally fly them to the states, get them in the Pet Finder Foster system, to, and then put them on the internet, and then they get they get um, you know rescued. So you know whenever you're in foreign countries and you just see all these you know uh, feral dogs and cats <laughs> running around, there are people who are actually Try tr- nice. trying to help them out. You know, and being feral, there's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes they don't look so healthy. Sure, and so. Uh, and I've had these cats for nine years now, and I, I think it's really great. But if it's a cow, we slaughter it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's called Pet Finder, not Animal. Not finder. Cow Finder. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for really just putting a nice ending to that. Uh, but anyway, if if we get a couple more hundred patrons, we'll be able to start donating to Pet Finder. And i and I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to that threshold happening. Yeah. Well, that does it for that long, meandering... (laughs) What was this about? Yeah, I don't know. I I feel culture shock. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to have one of those episodes. You do, you do. Well, that does it for that episode. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because... You deserve it.